Cheers. Cheers. Let's do it. We can just like <laughs> literally talk about it all day. But yeah. like, who does that? You know. We do. It's we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not being taped, we're still talking. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations Finally. to us. So exciting. Okay. Well, welcome to Invisible Thread. We celebrate personal style by connecting the iconic past to the looks of today and the designs of tomorrow. My name is Perlito. Hi, I'm Alexa. And we are Invisible Thread. Yes, this has been a long time coming. It's super exciting. Um, Perlito and I met in a kind of funny circumstance, actually. Um, he was a frequent visitor and <laughs> attended dinner at a restaurant in LA. And my boyfriend is a manager there. And when he saw, I don't know how he figured it out, but he was like, oh my gosh, Perlito's into fashion. He works at Prada. You have to meet my girlfriend. <laughs> and on a whim, we just kind of met, had dinner and clicked. Well, the funny thing is, it's like, okay, so... I was with corporate people for the company I work for, Prada. And so when I put the reservation in, I put Prada. Okay. So I name dropped. So I think that's how you're, I think that's how Mike knew. That. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And then I love how when, when I was like, you know, after we were leaving, I was like, you know what? Thank you for everything and hosting us. We had such a great time, blah, blah, blah. He's like, um, don't you work for Prada? Like you were trying to be- <laughs> And I was like, yes, I do. He's like, oh my God, you should meet my girlfriend. She's a stylist and she would love to meet you. And then, as they say, the rest is history, right? Absolutely. (laughs) I feel like we met and it just clicked right away. And we had been talking about doing a fashion podcast forever. So it's super exciting. This is finally all coming into fruition for us. I know. And to finally start... It's quite exciting. And I, I'm like super, oh my gosh, wait. Nervous. I mean, we're super both nervous. nervous. Yeah. 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 So. But it's good. It's good nerves. It's good nerves. Um, but so since we're starting the, the, the podcast, I kind of wanted for us to get to know each other. I mean, obviously we know each other, but yeah. like the, the, our future, what would you call it? Like our... Um, the people that's listening to Invisible Thread would like to get to know who you are, your past, uh, where you came from, uh, and what about fashion for you is exciting. Like what, what drew you to become a stylist, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what is your past like in terms of like, how did you become a stylist? Yeah. Uh, how did you start? Because I know you started in Chanel at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Calabasas and I think from a young age, I just always loved fashion. My mom is definitely a super fashionista, major shopaholic, and that just grew on to me. And I went shopping like crazy when I was young. I loved putting my outfits together. I would, you know, I loved reading, you know, magazines and Vogue and InStyle and just paying attention to you know, celebrities, what they were wearing and movies and all of that. And, you know, when I went to college, I decided not to go to a fashion school, not that there's anything against that, but 
I kind of just wanted like the football and the experience of just going to like, you know, a big to medium school or my, I guess I went to Boston college. So it was kind of a medium, small, like 10,000 undergrad. Was um, it, what, what was your degree? Like, what did you take? I studied psych and communication. Okay. Got it. Um, but even when I started BC at the very beginning, I kind of in the back of my mind was like, wait, should I have gone to fashion school? Should I have not? <laughs> so I kind of just took every opportunity I could to do something in fashion. Mm-hmm. And I took um, like a fashion illustration class at BC and every internship for the summer, I always did something in fashion. So it's just building up my credibility. But I think something, especially post-college that I really, really, um, enjoy and I encourage anyone who's looking to go into fashion to do is I took internships in so many different areas within the fashion world Mm -hmm. because it's multifaceted. You can go into PR, you can go into styling, you can go into journalism. I mean, it's just endless what you can really do within that space. Yeah. Um, so I, I started in fashion PR wasn't really for me. I did some retail at Chanel and then, um, I just started interning and assisting celebrity stylists and really enjoyed doing that. I yeah. really enjoyed the personal connection Yeah, and seeing people, their attitudes, their emotions, how they saw themselves just completely change when they put something on was so powerful to me. Yeah. And I love interacting with people. I'm very, you know, I just love interacting with people, getting to know them and, and seeing their space and, so styling was for me, I found my, my niche there and I worked. In terms of like the styling part, cause you know, a lot of people, you know, as they come up in the fashion industry, they're like, oh my God, I would love to style this celebrity. I would love to be, you know, on a cover of a magazine, you know, getting credit for like doing this or doing that. When you were styling these celebrities, what, what was it that like really excited you about that experience? Was it like the build? Was it like the inspiration of what they wanted? Was it actually like putting it on them? Like for you, what really excited you the most when you were doing the styling? So I think what's really cool within styling in the celebrity space is talking to the celebrity and seeing where they want to take their career. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of shift that. I mean, if you, if this celebrity is going to an event and they're saying, you know, I want to get into more serious roles, yeah. I want to start doing more drama and they want to be seen in that area, you can kind of amp up their style in a way that maybe is a little bit more dramatic. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is a little bit more mature Yeah. and maybe, you know, directors or casting directors in you know, particular might see them and go, oh my gosh, I never, I never saw them in that way. Yeah. 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 And you can kind of be a part of how their career takes off. And I it's thought that was like, cool. It's almost like um, the idea of creating the image without actually obtaining the position, right? Because they're like, as they like move on with their career, they're like deciding, I want to do this role, I want to do that role. And like the idea that you can create that image and that thought without it happening yet and to see if it really does take off it's kind of interesting to me because then it it's like you guys had pre-planned where you guys want to take her that individual's career and then styling that individual to fit that future role I don't fascinates me yeah I yeah. thought that was really cool and I think that's also an aspect that people don't think about I was gonna say I, I wouldn't think about that like I would be like oh I love that outfit on her she's so cute but then I wouldn't think that that was because of for that reason you know what I mean you had already decided that 
that would be the reason for this look. You know what I mean? Completely. And I think sometimes it isn't so intentional. Sometimes yeah. it's unintentional where you just put an outfit on a celebrity and maybe they kind of are giving off that maybe more serious vibe or maybe more playful or whatever it mm-hmm. is that you may or may not be, you know, coming across. And that could potentially dictate a next role or where their career goes, mm-hmm. whether it's intentional or not. And I thought that was really cool. I love it. I love it. So yeah, so styling is something you love, obviously. Yeah, and so I was in the celebrity space for a while, and now I am completely on my own doing freelance personal styling. Yeah. And I do photo shoots as well, but mostly working with personal clients and facilitating them in their wardrobe, closet cleanouts, um, especially event, you know, dressing for a wedding or whatever it is. Um, but that's that's really my passion. Oh, nice. I love it. Um especially as we like explore the podcast. I think as, as individuals, we will kind of explore the things that we really love about fashion and we'll bring it out and discuss it on the podcast. So um, I just love hearing what really drives people to kind of really uh, dive into what they love and whatever that may be in the scope of fashion, you know? Um, and for you, it's celebrity styling. It's like coming up with concepts. It's coming up with like creative ways to uh, implement a look on an individual's body. You know, all of these are like challenges and like, it's almost like, uh, can you style that individual based off of like how their body is is set, you know? Cause everybody has a different body set and everybody has a different uh, look that works for them. And like finding that, uh, for them, I, I, I would be like excited for that too, you know? Yeah. 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 And I want to hear too, um, how did you really, I don't think we've ever even talked about this is what was your first introduction to fashion? What drew you to fashion? Was it, you know, a certain look, a certain runway show or, or, you know, was there anything like, was there any catalyst in particular, maybe growing up that you were like, I'm interested in fashion and I'd, and I'd like to get into that. I think my experience is quite similar to yours too. Cause uh, I would look at my mom and like how she would dress and it wasn't necessarily rooted in like trends. It was just like rooted in her own personal style. And she would like mix patterns and like bold colors. And like, you know, we grew up in like this rural country town in like Southern Maryland. And she would just like, didn't care how other people look. She just like put together outfits that she loved. And I was like, wow, like I, looking back at it now, I appreciate it way more than I did as a child saying like, oh my God, like she's coming out with some crazy looks. (laughs) And like, we're going to the grocery store trying to buy like some eggs or something you know what I mean it's just like and now that I look at it it's like my interest in fashion isn't necessarily like what's cool now it's really like um creating these personal looks that really mean something to you you know and for whatever reason that means you love it you know and 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 understanding the references like um why would you put that together and where did that come from? How did that image like, and, and how did these designers like take the archives of these fashion houses and create something new? And, and the challenge of this, like, um, 
rooting it into your own personal style, but also like bridging it for what could be relevant and modern for today, you know? And when I look back at that, my mom was the one that really started to pique that interest. And so, but the unfortunate thing is, it's like, I grew up in a very religious family and uh, it's like first generation um, because my parents were immigrants to the United States from the Philippines. And so I'm like first generation born in America. And so there was like a lot of pressure to kind of like do, be successful for the family, you know? And obviously, well, not probably not obviously, but I am gay and uh, also very religious and growing up in a countryside, it's, there was a lot in terms of uh, obstacles for me to bring out this interest that was peaked at a young age. So I had to I had to find ways to bring it out so that it wasn't like it didn't. I don't know how to explain it. Like I couldn't just come out and be gay at that moment. I just had to be like, okay, I love fashion. How do I get into it? You know, I need to obviously because. I don't know, there's a lot of pressures in these um, Asian families to do like either business or be a nurse or be a teacher. And so I just went to business school in college, got the marketing degree. Students I graduated, I took that piece of paper. I was like, mom, this is for you. <laughs> and so like, now I'm going to go and do what I want, right? Yeah. And like unapolog- unapologetically, I just free flowed until I found the aspect of fashion that I loved. And um, my very first retail job was like at Old Navy. No way. Swear to God. I did not know that. And so like I was a sales associate. I was in college. I was like, you know what? I just need a job so that like I can go to school and still do what I need to do to get this degree, but like get money off the side, whatever. So then I went to Old Navy and I realized... I'm really good at putting together, even at Old Navy, okay? So like (laughs) putting together outfits and like styling people. And not only that, like I was like able to hone in on their own personal style, right? I know it's Old Navy, but it's like, I I was really good at it. It was like, I discovered that and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. This may catapult me into a different brand. So then I went into like, um, J. Crew. I went into um, what was the other one? Uh, United Colors of Benetton, and then so from Benetton, that's where I was like scouted by another brand, uh, Hermes. Oh wow! Yeah. So the the manager for Hermes was like she was looking for a men's ready to wear manager. And so she was just like testing. She would go to all these different brands and just like test the sales associates. And at the time I was like an assistant manager or whatever. And so at the end of the experience with that client, she goes, uh, my name is such and such. I'm the store manager for Hermes. And uh, uh, you literally sold me this coat. And it, that, I, that never happens when I'm testing people for interviews. And she's like, I want to, I want you to, she gives me her business card. She's like, I want you to come to my store and I want to interview for a men's ready to wear position. So I didn't even, I wasn't even looking, like literally just like out of the blue. I get the job. And so like, I'm like killing it. I'm doing so good and da, da, da. 
And this guy comes into the store and starts like jumping into their window display, right? I, I think I had like an Hermes tie in my hand. I dropped it. You know, I was like, what the hell is this guy doing? You yeah. Know, like, you know, he's putting outfits together. He's dressed in the mannequins. I was like, just like my mouth dropped. I was just like in awe. I was like, you get paid to do this kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I want to know everything. So then every time he would come in, he would like, he tells me he's like installing. He's like, he designs all the propping. He installs every, he, back then, that's how visuals was done. Like, they were like the true artists. Like, they would install the props. They would create the props. They would come up with the concepts. It was very artistic driven instead of like company-wide one vision. Yeah. So um, I just remember one day I was like, you know what? I don't want to sell a damn tie anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah. You want to be almost curating I was an all, experience, yeah. a, a feeling. I would say somebody actually is paying you to visualize how to make the image of the brand, how to create the styling of the clothes and then do it in a way that's like compelling like that blew my mind, right? So then I just asked him, I was like, you know what, somebody who has no experience has never done visuals really before, like what would you tell that person? He goes, well, if you genuinely want to do this and it's something that you want to do, um, just do it. So I quit the next day. Wow. I had no job. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just wanted- So you didn't think to yourself, okay, I'm already in Hermes. You know, I have my foot in the door. I'm doing well. You didn't think, okay, maybe I can approach them and go, hey, I'm looking to shift in visuals in Hermes. Yeah. You just, I you wouldn't kinda... suggest that mindset to anybody, but I literally, <laughs> just, and it was weird because like back then I was just so fearless. You know, I, when I got my head wrapped around something I want to do, I was like, I'm fucking doing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. no one's going to tell me to never not do something that I feel a thousand percent passionate about. You yeah. know what I mean? Hindsight, as I look back, I probably wouldn't have quit Hermes so quickly. <laughs> do you know what you I mean? Because you could have maybe shifted into visuals at I Hermes. could have, yeah. And then they ship you to, I don't know where, probably Paris. Paris. I know Chanel does that with them, um, or at least they, they did when I was there, is the visuals, um, they would do a few months in Paris. Mm -hmm. And it sounded incredible. And And, you know, Obviously, looking back on it is probably not the best advice for anybody to do. <laughs> but I think, too, my personal journey, like, because I, I had, like, no clue, like, how, what visuals was. or like, So I had to build this almost, like, this vocabulary, this knowledge, this reference, and, like, almost, like, start fresh. Because, like, I had no, I knew I wanted to do it, but I actually didn't have the knowledge or the the skill. I, I may have the motivation and the drive, but I didn't necessarily have the skill at that moment. So I think if I did go into Hermes, I might have failed because they're so high yeah. in the fashion totem pole. And I'm if I'm over here like, you know, putting together like some suspect outfits like I would probably have been fired like immediately you know what I mean yeah so then I almost needed to start and so here we are my very first visual job do you know 
Did I ever tell you that where I first? <laughs> no, I have no idea. I did not okay, know where drink. you began. Okay, let's <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, so my very first, let me just sip this delicious tequila. <laughs> my very first visual job was for JCPenney. Wow. Straight okay. Up. Not even lying. But if you think about it, you know. We've worked for very high-end brands. Mm -hmm. Nothing bad about JCPenney, Navy, Mm -hmm. all of that. You got to start somewhere and they are the basics for the world. So many people shop there, live by them. They're great, but JCPenney and I feel like Macy's and those huge windows, especially in New York City, when you go, you know, they're famous. Huge. So starting there in visuals, I feel like was a really good starting Mm -hmm. point. I mean, maybe it wasn't, but you know. It gave me... Because also, like, I don't think people also realize, like, uh, not only do you need to have the talent and the references and the knowledge, but you also need to have the confidence, like, because in these, in, in this industry, you're always being scrutinized for what you create. And it's subjective, right? It's an idea. It's a concept. And so people are going to be like, I don't know if I really like that outfit to get, or that color or that style or the shape. Like there's so many different avenues that they can kind of say, I don't know if this works, right? So I almost had to build my confidence to a point where my concepts, my ideas were really what it needed to be. And I could communicate it and I could implement it without struggle, so I needed, and so JCPenney to, I went to Lord and Taylor at one oh, point. Oh, yeah, Do yeah. Do you remember Lord? Okay. Of course, yeah. <laughs> this is like a time capsule. Anyway, so Lord, uh, JCPenney, Lord and Taylor, Nordstrom's. And so this whole time I was like styling outside too. I was like uh, doing f- uh, photo shoots. I was doing um, parties. Like people had like uh, events. So I would help set their events up. So my portfolio back then was like everything. It was not only oh, JC cool. or Lord Taylor. It was like literally events. It was like Christmas parties. It was like a photo shoot. I even got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to uh, create a business card. <laughs> And it said, you know, visual, like expert or some corny, whatever. And yeah. I literally took it and I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time. So I went up and down this one main strip that like had all these like stores. And I would like pass these cards out like, hey, do you need visual? Um, do you need somebody to help you with your visuals and lay out your floor and like create cool mannequin looks? Da 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 da. I think I hit like 30 stores. Only one of them called back. Wow. Yeah. And back then it was called Universal Gear. I don't know if you've ever heard them. No. So they had 10 stores in the United States. It was like uh, a local brand, I think, at the time. And they had like Lucky Jeans. Do you remember Lucky Jeans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was like their biggest account or whatever. Okay. And so I said, I'm going to create a window for you. And this is my idea. He was like, perfect, do it. And he's like, we're not going to pay you in money, but what we can pay you is in, in clothes. Like, so oh, we do know. like an exchange or something. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, done. So I did this like gigantic, like four leaf clover, but it was almost like 3D. Oh, it sounds cool. Yeah. And then I, it's okay. So I've never been to art school, but I was just like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I did this huge four leaf clover, but it was like, uh, I almost 
degradate the color of beiges, like from like almost white to like almost brownish. Like an ombre. Yes. So I did that, did like a background with like falling clovers. So one big one and then falling, but it fell into like the denim. So then there's like a little area where the denim is. <laughs> I don't know what made me do this, but like, I was just like, I, I just want to try all these different aspects of fashion, you know, visually. Yeah. So that was also my portfolio. And then unbeknownst to me, it's really the timing of it and like knowing somebody. I literally was like uh, in United because of Benetton and the guy told me, he's like, you know what? You should uh, think about uh, taking a position at Burberry. Like I was just shopping, just hanging out. And I knew him from a party, like, but it was just like in passing almost. You know, it like, it's not like I knew him, knew him, but it was like, we met at a party, we like clicked and like, now we know each other's names. So like, whenever I see him out, I'm like, hey, how are you? What's up? He's like, you know, I work for Burberry. I'm leaving. You should take my position. And I was like, uh, I work at Nordstrom's. Like, you know, yeah. I don't know if I have the experience, but up until that point, I was building my portfolio the entire time. And so... I just said, okay. So I sent my resume. I sent my portfolio. A week later, the VP flies into DC to see me, like physically see me. And he interviews me. And then the next week, I got the job. Wow. Yeah. And so from Burberry, I was there. That Basically, they were the ones who gave me the introduction to the luxury industry. Yeah. In visual, full capacity. And when you say visuals, you're talking mannequins in the store, windows, mm -hmm. any type of like, you know, aesthetic. displays. Displays, yeah. Anything aesthetic, uh, I did. The layout of the product, I did. The windows, the installation of the windows, I did. Um, and back then, Burberry was very similar to Hermes in the sense that like they would do installations because uh, the VP came from Saks. He was, his name is Sal Lenzo and um, he's, he's an actual artist too. He would draw the concepts for all the windows. So he was the real head of visuals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For the U.S., he was legit. And so he basically gave me the start and the knowledge to kind of really catapult me into high-end fashion, but not, not only in that, but like in the capacity of visual. And how would you say that the visuals differed as opposed to a JCPenney and a Lorne and Taylor mm -hmm. to a very high-end fashion brand like Burberry? So the biggest thing to think about when you go start to like uh, work in these boutique shops, um, a lot of it is centered around how special the product should look, right? So from JCPenney to Lorne and Taylor to Nordstrom to now... Burberry at that, at that point, um, you're now fine-tuning specific displays and like you are picking out almost like the best of the best within the product and finding ways to strategically, strategically place it on the rack and show it on a mannequin so that it 
flows in a way that like that client or the person that walks into Burberry is now being engaged by all these different pieces. It could be a coat, it could be a shoe, it could be a bag, it could be an outfit in the back wall. So the concept is continually brought to life throughout the space. Whereas uh, JCPenney was more like, you know, keep the groups clean. Is this shorts? Is this like swimwear? Is this like, you know, top t-shirts? It's, it's almost like mass produced in the sense like it, you make it as easy as possible for them to find the product. Right. Where higher end was a little bit more of storytelling and you know, storytelling, yeah, conceptual and specific moods. Right. Cause like after Burberry, I was scouted by Valentino. And Valentino uh, was another notch uh, on the fashion world in terms of like the the way that they created their visuals. It's quite different, right? So I almost had to, when I started Valentino, I was like, yeah, I got this, you know, I, I worked at Burberry for like eight years, you know, no one's going to tell me like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Day one, I walked in. I literally took Burberry, all my concept, all my ideas and threw it out the window. Like I just flung it back. Like I can't do what I did at Burberry, even though I did what I did at Burberry and I was quite successful and everything that I did for them was successful. They loved it and et cetera. I had to now switch my mind to an Italian, you know, uh, luxury uh, gowns, they had evening gowns. It was just so exquisite to the point where like my first day I was shaking. I touched this dress and I was like, you want me to pull that off that mannequin? Like that's like a hundred thousand dollars dress. Yeah. It's terrifying. I was like, do I wear gloves? Like yeah. I didn't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. so many thoughts go through my mind, you know? And so. And just was, your comfort level just completely shifted where you were so comfortable at Burberry, you knew what to do. You were yeah. almost, not, I mean, not following a formula, but like, you know, the people there, you know, the vibe, you know, the heritage. And then when you shift to a completely different brand, yeah. it's like a whole new world. Whole new world, literally. And uh, it was just like, uh, you almost had to give yourself a pep talk. Like, okay, Polito, <laughs> it's a goddamn dress. It's fine. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. It's not going to kill you. Totally. But then once you get past that, and then now I was given an opportunity to create for such a distinguished like fashion house in terms of like red carpet and like that whole aspect of dressing and the evening. Um, I loved it. I loved it so much because um, the way that they styled back then, it obviously we had Maria and Pier Paolo as the designers, but we also had a third person that I don't think a lot of people knew. His name is uh, Jacopo, and he was the one that actually shaped the collections. Obviously, the designs, the design, they come up with the inspiration, but uh, this third individual would shape the commerciality of it, like give it more of a ready-wear vibe. If if they have too much evening and too much like um, special pieces, he would find a way to bridge those items or, or, or um, suggest ideas of like designing a shoe or a sneaker or something that would like also give uh, the clients at, uh, at, at Valentino more of a 
aspirational way to buy into the collection instead of it being so conceptually luxury and so high end because that can feel far from a lot of people like I think that's a struggle that everyone has uh-huh. especially when you have a creative director who has a certain vision a certain inspiration or storytelling sometimes does that translate over yeah and I'm sure we're going to talk about this later on in future episodes but how do you get that to translate over into actual sales exactly. and how do you how do you get the average mom on the block who's yeah. just walking into Valentino yeah. to buy into that. Buy into it. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that there are people under these designers who not only uh, advise, but they help shape the collections in a way that's a little bit more uh, digestible. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, these are businesses who are usually owned, you know, Many of the huge ones are either owned by LVMH or Keering and mm-hmm. they have certain quotas and they yeah. expect, you know, certain amount of sales and sometimes that can be hard to translate over. So having those key people yeah. to make it digestible for the average person walking in is so needed because yeah. it's, it's an art form at the end of the day. A thousand percent because the concept of luxury and commerciality, it's always, they're always battling each other at some point. And then, you know, the percentage of luxury to, to commercial that's where that sweet spot is for a lot of brands, you know, you know, to go back to Valentino, like that was my mindset. No, going from Burberry to Valentino and I had to kind of what, like almost like um, allow myself that journey to make mistakes and to kind of create for them, but also learn their style. Cause, um, and you know, obviously you, as as an industry, we know the designers, we know the brands, we know uh, them as a name, right? But we don't actually know uh, the people who are styling the floor, the mannequins, um, the looks. Uh, those are the individuals that like, uh, not to say anything negative about any of the designers, but those are the individuals who inspire me the most. And that, I mean, I think this is like a perfect introduction, Yeah, is so much behind our actual name. Because, you know, you working for, you know, visuals at Prada, my background in working for celebrity styling and, and now, you know, personal styling, there's so much behind the scenes and there's so many people behind the scenes and there's so much that goes into mm-hmm. one look or one window display and in fashion or even like business decisions. Why are these business decisions happening? There's so many invisible uncovered layers to everything. And I think both of our perspectives and like the first time we ever met, I feel like I felt that where we both kind of came into this fashion world and where we found our places was almost in this unseen space Mm -hmm. where you're creating an impact, but you're not, you know, the main person. Maybe people don't necessarily know you or yeah. know that you created that or that you were a part of why that one person was holding that bag or that yeah. bag was shown in, you know, the window display. And so that's why when we were thinking of a name and we we landed on invisible thread, yeah. We, you know, we we were very much into that unseen kind of yes. conversation or that that voice. Yeah. Like just to discover who uh these individuals could possibly be, but also like to have that conversation where it's not just um, the brand itself stamping 
the legitimacy of what's happening for that fashion house, or it's not just the designers um, creating new concepts and pushing the envelope of fashion itself, but there are those individuals that um, they are the the fat the, the reason why a lot of these brands are successful, but you don't ever see them. Yeah, which is that fascinates me. And to go back to your point. When we decided to do Invisible Thread, this was the main thing that kept coming up for me. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, you know what? It would be so cool if we could like dive into the fashion industry and, ex- and, and bring out those individuals or bring out those ideas or bring out those references or the connections to the fashion houses and the codes and, and all those things. Like, talk about those things that really shape what we see now. You know, absolutely. And I think because we have that experience, we we look at fashion a little bit differently mm-hmm. where I think the average person who maybe works in finance or doesn't really know much about the fashion world and they think about it or they watch a show or a collection and they just think, oh, this industry is just so materialistic or so mm-hmm. vapid or, you know, they just they look at it kind of just very face on mm-hmm. where for us, we see it on such a deeper level. And Deep. I think. having that conversation and kind of making people kind of see that or uncover that for some people where there is so much behind a collection. There's so much behind a simple, someone might think a simple window display, they just walk by, but Mm -hmm. there's so much there. Literally somebody decided strategically, uh, creatively, conceptually thought about what you're seeing. But it like, you know, it can fall under the radar because it's like, maybe it's just so beautiful that you're just like, oh, it's gorgeous. And then split second, you're like, okay, so what are we going to have for lunch? (laughs) Right, right, right. In the same sentence, right? Right. But somebody literally. Like for us, we would sit there and be like, they (laughs) chose this color because of X, Y, and Z. Or we would really psychoanalyze. Not that everyone has to do that, but I think. Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it's a window where you should go to lunch at some point. No, but yeah, I totally get Yeah, the yeah. nuances. It's in. It's the beauties and the nuance, you know? Absolutely. And I think inspiring people to look at fashion in a different way. Like yeah. how, what is this saying about culture? What is culture saying about fashion? How are they mimicking each other? How are they dictating each other? How are they criticizing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such a fusion between our world and culture and what's happening in fashion because fashion is an art form. Yep. And I think a lot of people forget about that and they, yes. you know, and it's so much a part of the zeitgeist of now and of, you know, you know, future or past um, times where, you know, there's certain fashion collections or designers or things that are synonymous with certain decades. Mm-hmm. And it's just that fashion and that art is so much a part of the history of that time and mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah. And it's so powerful. It, 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 it shapes our society without us actually knowing, which is what makes it even more powerful in a sense, right? It shapes the way that we can see clothing and the way it's put together. It's done in such a underlining way that like, it makes it even more powerful to know that there's individuals out there who really shape the way that we are dressing without us actually knowing that, you know? And there's such, it, it, to me, the art of uh, creating, the art of 
ironic concepts, the art of uh, bringing out a look that's rooted in our our relevance, like and and defining what relevance would mean to not only us but to the industry itself. It's like all of these things are coming into play without us actually realizing it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Unless I, we have an opportunity to do a fashion podcast like we do. And then we could just like <laughs> literally talk about it all day. But yeah. like who does that? You know? We do. Because we're obsessed. Do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not being taped, we're still talking about yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah, I just think within this one fashion space, there's so much topics and there's so much that we're so excited to get into. So excited. And, you know, when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to first, like, you know, collections that really defined a house, we're going to get into a lot of um, coding, you know, what codes define a house, what motifs are used in specific houses, how are they using those, the archives, what, what collections are considered modern, um, collaborations are huge right now, emerging huge. designers, there's... I mean, the Hackers Project right now, uh, Balenciaga, Gucci. There's so many things we could talk about that, you know, people hate that there feels like there's a lack of design is, a, is, a, is an idea or it's too commercial or it's genius because they've actually taken... Or it's gimmicky. And it's gimmicky. Where's the actual um, authenticity? Yeah. What's new? What's been designed? There's nothing new, right? Right. Because what they did was they basically hacked each other's best-selling items. They, they basically took the triple S sneaker. They took the bags. They took the hourglass. They took all the things that makes the code or... Uh, uh, that all the things that did well for each brand and like just changed the print on them. Yeah. Basically. In these logos too, they're variations of logos that have been around in those fashion houses for decades. Decades. So then again, it might be like a newer iteration mm-hmm. of some of those logos potentially. But then again, it's kind of still working with the old. Yes. And what already was working. So people make the argument, what's actually new here? Exactly. But then, I don't know, personally, I'm totally into it because (laughs) for me, I just thought, why not? Why not take those pieces? And and we've talked about this, right? So it was like before they even did the collaboration, we have our own ideas of like where Gucci was going and Mm -hmm. like, you know, what Alessandro was creating for them and how referential his looks are, uh, borderline and not in a negative way, but it can feel of the time period that he chose and very costumey and very uh, not necessarily rooted in how people dress, but more like a conceptual idea. Yeah. Um, And so we were just like, observing his point of view, observing his collections as they come out uh, and like how specific his thought process must be to create these like really strong uh, of that period look, you know? And I'm going to be honest, I didn't think it felt moderate. I felt like it felt like it didn't speak to where uh, people were kind of like leaning towards and Balenciaga was simple. It was architectural. It was like 
uh, it felt modern. It felt new. It felt like this is how people would want to dress currently. And I remember we were at Harriet's rooftop. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like we, you know. Usually like, are. Usually are, you know. If you're ever there, come say hi. Okay, the place is amazing. <laughs> um over a few drinks, just having a moment, talking about fashion, and our friend, our dear friend Ross. Has oh, he'll definitely be on the pod yes. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he was there witnessing us talk about fashion like we always do, and I said, for Gucci to feel cool for me, I think they would have to collaborate with Balenciaga. Yeah. Because I just felt like Balenciaga was just, of the t- like what Demna is doing Speechless. But I think too, when it comes to collaborations or just even, you know, collections that we're going to be seeing post pandemic, the pandemic world Mm -hmm. and the losses that most industries and of course fashion took a huge hit. Why are they making these choices now? Mm -hmm. Is it a sales driven thing? Is it, and I think part of that collaboration between Gucci and Balenciaga could be, and we don't know this, but it, it could be where the Gucci team was saying, is this modern? Is our is our mm-hmm. audience, is the modern person walking into the Gucci store buying into our collections, our, our ideas and our storytelling? Mm-hmm. And maybe they weren't as much as they wanted. And so Balenciaga is doing that. Yes. And so a collaboration right there could be boosting both sales. Yes. There's so much economics and yeah. data and so much that goes into these decision makings too, where someone could just say, oh, you know what? That doesn't look modern to me mm-hmm. or that doesn't seem authentic. Right. Maybe, but there's so many reasons as mm-hmm. to why they're they're making these choices. And I think for these collaborations too, and we're seeing so many of them, what is that saying about our culture? What is that saying about the population who are buying it right now? Mm-hmm. Do they like that? Do they Are they looking for that? There's just, well, definitely there's gonna be yeah. an episode on collaborations right now because Logomania sure. and Skims and you know Fendi, there's, Fendi, it's just- Versace blowing up everywhere as we dive deeper into all these different concepts and all these collaboration and swaps and hacker project and stuff i think you know as we are now fully moving out of the pandemic thank god or knock on wood yeah um the fashion houses are now really honing in on a stronger concept and not necessarily um creating white noise it's like they're really honing in on what it is that they stand for and what they believe in and that's what makes it so intriguing because now we're gonna see really cool 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 concepts and something different you know it's the same thing with like daniel lee and bottega veneta um you know what he created in just three seasons for that house, I think it's, it speaks to where the, the industry is now going, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think we'll definitely be getting into all these topics soon, but I kind of want to end this one episode with a few questions okay. that I can ask you. Maybe you can ask me. <laughs> I'm single. Um, <laughs> I live in LA. <laughs> we frequent Harriet's. Okay. <laughs> we frequent Harriet's. We love to drink. What else? Yeah. (laughs) Love fashion. We love fashion. Um, Okay. And these are hard, so you can take a minute to kind of think about it. Uh Because even I'm looking at these questions thinking if you ask me, I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what I would say. 
Um, okay. If you could wear one designer for the rest of your life. Right now. For the rest of your life, one designer. It could be from any era. You could say Gianni Versace in the 90s. You could say Tom Ford, you know, Gucci in the 90s. It could be any designer. It could be now. It could be past, present, whatever. But for the rest of your life. Oof. That's so hard. I know who mine would be, but. Okay, let me think. For, for the rest of my life, who would that individual be? And I think you have to think about, too, your age now and uh-huh. also when you're hopefully like 110 years old. Oh, my God. Who would, who would still be, who would still make sense to wear? Wow. My mind is racing. <laughs> Oh my God. I just, I love so many. I love Daniel Lee. I love Lueve. I love Demna. Oh my God. I think Balenciaga, what he's done with the oversized, you know, at some point we're going to like switch, you know, we're going to probably want something a little bit more refined in terms of like tailored uh, silhouettes. Um, so, I, hmm. Well, I can give, I can tell you mine if you need some time. Yeah, let's go to you and then. Okay, well, mine's easy just because I'm extremely minimalistic. I'm obsessed with tailoring. I am obsessed with, I don't wear a lot of color. I, I love just simplistic designs. That's yeah. very me. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's Phoebe Philo. Oh. That's Celine. Love. I mean, for me, that's perfection. And I think too, it, it works now yeah. and it works when you're 110 years old mm-hmm. because it's just gorgeous fabrics and it's yeah. just the draping and the tailoring and the just neutral colors and the textures. And I just find it so elegant. Mm-hmm. So for me, I could wear it out to the grocery store and look fabulous or mm-hmm. wear it to a wedding and look fabulous or to an event or whatever. So for me, it's universal and it's yeah. universal ageless too. So yeah. me, mine's hundred percent Phoebe Philo at Celine. Okay. I love that. Um, okay. So then let me just hone it in because now that I'm thinking about it, because we do have to think, cause it for the rest of our life yeah. and we're going to be changing and evolving and stuff like that. I would have to pick Mrs. Prada because she does do the artsy the like the geeky chic and like the pattern on pattern and then she also has like Alina Rosa which for sporty and like minimal block color yeah what uh, would I wear to the gym okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean you Wait, have yeah. nylon yeah I literally can go the gamut you can because- camp Camp. You can go. I literally can go, go camping. Run a mile. Okay. <laughs> I Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I would have to go with her because there's a little bit more of the diversity. Yeah. But it also there there's those like iconic uh, I, irony that she really like dives into. She loves the masculine. She loves the femme. And she likes to mix the two. Like I like the things where you walk in, you're like, I don't know if I like that, but I can't stop staring at it. That is like, that is so Prada. Yeah. It's a thousand percent me. And it's also like uh, how I would want to evolve as I get like a hundred and two. Okay. I love that. With something crazy. And you were like, love it. You know what I mean? Like, 
Okay. Yeah. Let's. Okay. Then I have favorite red carpet or Met look of all time, but that's a little hard. I think maybe (laughs) it's just something like a look. It could be from now or from the past that just when you're thinking of something that was beautifully executed, Mm who, who or what look. Or just in general. I guess just a major red carpet moment that in your mind pops up when you think of, I mean, something that like a look that was executed impeccably. Okay, so I, you know, you may have to help me with some of the designers, but like when Rihanna came out of the Met and she wore that Asian designer. Wait, are you talking about the yellow dress? Yeah, and it's pink inlay on the underside. With the fur yes. trim. She was an the Asian Met. designer. Oh my God, I should probably look her up. But like sh- that dress, that moment, uh, like was... It was everything for me. And it made me uh, really look at the Met in a different way, not just like an event where like all these celebrities come through and they're like obviously wearing beautiful dresses and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, a, you know, it's a fundraiser for the the museum itself. So there's all these good things about the event itself. But like I started to pay attention to, to the concepts that these either stylists or if it, you know, I'm not assuming that Rihanna didn't put that look together, but whoever, in fact, uh, was spearheading that specific look on her for that specific time was everything. Absolutely. That was the um, exhibit, China Through the Looking Glass. Yes. And the designer, I I don't want to mess up how to say the name, but it's... it's like a Gyo Pin? Yeah, Gyo. And it, the last name is P-I-E. Yeah. I remember it, but that was I, didn't amazing. Want, I didn't want to butcher her name, so I'm glad you did that mm. instead. <laughs> I know, and um, if we do butcher names, we are so sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's really hard with yeah. these fashion, you know, people, there's Italian designers, there's oh, Parisian yeah. designers, there's Australian design. I mean, yeah. not that Australia is any different okay. in the pronunciation, but <laughs> there's just, you know, we, we're probably going to butcher a lot. Yeah. Um, Warning. Yeah, warning. So please, <laughs> and if we do say something wrong, please let us know how to how to say it the correct way. Yeah, we, we would love the help. Um, I don't know when this was taken or when, when she wears, but I don't know why this pops in my head because it's such Tell a me. random look. Yeah. But it's Gwyneth Paltrow mm. wearing this white, gorgeous dress with, it's like a cape-like, over, was it for a premiere or something? What was it? It it looks it looks like a Golden Globe Ooh. situation, but for me, I think again because it's minimalistic, it's white. Mm-hmm. Her hair was tucked back, mm. and I just thought it was just elegant and yeah. gorgeous and timeless. Uh-huh. And when you're a celebrity on the red carpet and you're going to an, a major event, you would hope that it you could look at it twenty years later and still. To still say, wow, I loved my look. Right. I looked amazing. And when she went on the red carpet, I just thought, timeless. Oh, I love that. So that, I don't know why, because it's not a huge iconic moment. It's not, you know, when like Halle Berry won her Oscar, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, Like probably no one else would have the same one. But for some, I must have been young. And for some reason, just, I just saw it and it stuck in my mind. It stuck in your mind, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um. Okay, and then I'll we'll end with this one. 
Again, super hard, and I don't know who I'm going to say right now. <laughs> but if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive. Oh, my God. And so does it have to be rooted in fashion? No. It can be anyone. Anyone. Dead or alive. If I could have dinner with that individual, who would they be? Who? I would want... Um, I don't know. For me, I'm kind of like, it's so hard to just pick one person. But if, if, if I could be transported to the time of like uh, Scaparelli and Mrs. Prada and how they almost were, for, for, for all intents and purposes, Scaparelli was very like innovative and like nouveau and different. And she kind of like created these fashion moments that in a sense they mimic what Mrs. Prada was doing for Prada you know like where she did these innovations that are not necessarily rooted in any kind of trend but just mainly like where they wanted to take the brand how they wanted to kind of dress their woman how they wanted to give them either a, a strong look or a feminine look so they had like all these different like moods that they created for themselves and I would love to just see those two have a moment to kind of just dive into each other's world and just talk about what inspired them, what drives them, and what continues, for example, Mrs. Prada, because she's still alive, like what is giving her um, the ability to continuously innovate and create and be who she is individually even now as like our times are changing, the current, what's relevant is changing. Like it's so fascinating. I think it's, it's so misunderstood like how difficult it is to continually be relevant with the mindset that you have because it isn't necessarily organic. It's like this is your beliefs and you have to kind of change that periodically like there are periods where designers have to change the way they look at things periodically if you don't we'll be in a situation where like you know i'm not to harp on like gucci or alessandro but like we may feel their point of view is too similar from their last collections and then we start to lose how important they are for the fashion industry and we start to lose uh, the little nuances of their references and it kind of like blows past us and we're not given a moment to take a break and say, this guy is a genius because he is a genius, but like it's, it's rooted in so deep in his referential concepts that we're just like, I don't get it. Do you know totally. what I mean? I can't imagine the stress as a designer. Yeah. I cannot imagine. And they're asked to do that how many times a year, depending on the house. Yeah. Oh, Certain yeah. houses are Depending. slowing down and doing less collections. And, you know, that also coincides with a little bit of like sustainability and, and how much, you know, how much they're, they're wasting doing mm -hmm. so much collections throughout one, one year. Mm -hmm. um, but I cannot imagine the stress of making it new, making it genius, making yeah. it not only genius artistically and creatively. And that also is being authentic to themselves as a, as a creator, yeah. but also is that translating over into sales and into your boss? Like they yeah. have bosses. Are they happy with every collection that you're putting out? I 
cannot imagine the <laughs> yeah. stress. Yeah. It it's really I don't think a lot of people think of that. Yeah. And they just like, oh, I don't like it or whatever. It's like Right. Could you imagine? No. I I, I think I would be completely bald, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and like I would not like uh even resemble a normal looking person. I would just be haggard and yeah. like <laughs> Like defeated, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. if I go to Starbucks, they're like, "Oh, we don't have the venti, blah blah blah," and I'm like, I, and that would, <laughs> would destroy your me mind. Yeah, at that yeah. point. You know what I'm saying? Because you're just so heavy in thought, and yeah, totally. Like, so, what do you mean you don't have the venti pink drink? <laughs> and they walk. I out, want the pumpkin spice. Yeah, in March. Distraught. Yeah. <laughs> I would just yeah lose would your not mind. Know what to do with myself. So for you, it would be Scaparelli. Yeah. And that period of in fashion, yes. that time sitting in that room, just and just see. watching him create. Yes, I I think that would be genius for me. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, my my answer is a little <laughs> a little out there, but I think just because of this period in time is just so chaotic. Just post pandemic is just a little crazy. I don't think there's ever been a time in my lifetime that I've ever felt the world just at such odds and just, there's just so much turbulence right now, just walking out on the street that you can just feel. Mm-hmm. So I think for me just to- Oh my God, even last, anyways, did you see what happened last night? What happened last night? Like Louis Vuitton got literally like smashed <gasps> oh, into- Oh, I saw that. I saw like that. Massive robbery. Yeah. Horrible. Horrible. It's just a crazy wild time that we're living in. Yeah. And it, I've never felt this much turbulence and chaos. So for me- I think I'd want to sit down with like Gandhi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you like literally, you built it up so good. Like that was It was good. so no, out there. Yeah. You took me to a place. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, who could this? And then that was good. You know, just sitting in that, that presence yeah. and, you know, just thinking of the world in such a different happy yeah. and just like, I don't know, just getting a different perspective right now that's I think just sitting in someone's presence like that yeah can bring you so much peace and I could just only imagine the life lessons yeah so my answer is totally out there I love it though (laughs) (laughs) I think I would I would love that you know what I mean we need it society let's put it on let's just live stream it (laughs) and have everyone just take a moment right yeah rejuvenate yeah, you know, rejuvenate. You feel that like energy of love and- uh, Well, I can say right now that this is talking with you, talking fashion is so much escapism and it's it? rejuvenating. I think we haven't stopped smiling since these. <laughs> th- Do you know what I'm saying? Abs- like, yeah. I'm sitting yeah. here looking at you yeah. like, this is amazing. So. It's so fun. And we are so excited to be in this space and we're excited to get to know our listeners mm-hmm. and explore these fun creative ideas and how fashion is shaping our world and shaping our culture. And um, yeah, we're just, we're very excited for this opportunity. Yes. And And so much more is to come. So much more, so much exciting things that that's going to be coming out of this. And um, not only is it an an, an avenue for me and Alexa to kind of have these conversations, but it's like a community for all of us to kind of be a part of and um, share your thoughts, share your ideas, you know, um, 
be a part of this process too, because it's a journey not only for me and her, but for also for you guys too. So um, with that being said. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back with a new episode soon. Bye. Bye.